Truth News Network. New thinking, city ablaze, island on fire, homes burned to the ground, toxic train derailures, all affecting properties, lives. Shall we call for help? No. How do we monetize this? Seriously. Schwab and the WEF telling you you will own nothing and be happy. Tell you what, Klaus, you lead the way. If you think we're kidding, it's sad, but it's true. And you know what? We're the Truth News Network. And with the hard news is Dan Newman. Everything you just heard, all that compilation that Pete Moss said of what's going on around us, it just adds to the chaos that seems to be controlling every part of our lives now. Wow. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to TNN Live. Don't get desperate. We're going to be okay. We all know how this story ends. Well, we think we know how it ends. What we've got to do is fix the things that are keeping us from already being where we are going in the long run. Wow, how can we do that, Dan? Well, it starts right up at the top, 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue, where leadership is supposed to be leadership, real leadership, that guide us through the labyrinth of chaos that we're experiencing now, but our fearless leader that is supposedly showing us the way out of the labyrinth can't find his way out. And he's kind of enjoying staying in the middle of it and keeping everybody guessing. And sadly, that's what he thinks he's doing, but he's not. Nobody's guessing. We get it. This government wants to be the power junkie that runs our lives, every part of our lives. We can no longer even question that. It's factual. They're not even trying to hide it anymore. And this morning on this show, we're going to give you some examples, and you'll just shake your head because it's exactly as I said. They want you and I in every way in every part of our lives, to sit down, be quiet, and let them tell us what to do and how to do it. And certainly, freedom, oh, that's just one of those things you heard about when you were younger. It doesn't exist any longer. And they're not even trying to hide that from us, that that's what their goal is. I don't want to paint a bleak picture. We have hope. And our hope is... Look at each other. We're the hope of this nation. It's not the political class. It's not the bureaucratic class that's going to get us there. It's you and me. And unless and until we decide we're going to step up to the table and make sure what's supposed to happen is happening and then make sure that every resource that is necessary to make these things happen, we have. We're not going to see any change for the positive. We may continue our spiral into certain oblivion. And we don't want to go there. But don't just sit back and hope. Listen, guys, we're the ones that can make a difference. We're the ones that must make a difference. We've got to step up and make our voices heard. I know it's kind of a scary thing. Those dozen or so pro-life people that were peacefully protesting outside in a hallway in front of an abortion clinic, they were found guilty and are facing as much as 11 years in prison. That's scary. 
That should scare everybody. But instead of sitting still and just cringing and shaking in our fear, we need to step up to the table, let our voices be heard, and make sure they understand. They let the perpetrators of over 300 riots across our nation in the summer of 2020. You remember that? It was in the wake of the George Floyd horror show that happened up in Minneapolis. Hardly any of those perpetrators, the rioters and looters in any of those, ever was arrested. Certainly never saw a day behind jail. But if you're a peaceful, pro-life individual and you sit calmly on the floor, not blocking, sitting against walls on either side of a hallway and singing praise songs to God, they're going to be sent to jail up to 11 years, including one 80-plus-year-old grandmother. You know we're in trouble. But we've got to make sure we get out of it. And the sooner the better. Well, I didn't mean to start off with a downer. And we've got to make a, a conscious decision. We can't let this stuff ruin our lives. And it starts with not letting it ruin today. It's just another hurdle that we've got to get over in this thing called life and make life even better than we've seen in our lives for our children and our grandchildren. Oh, and by the way, for my soon-to-be-born next month, great-granddaughter. Oh, my gosh. I'm not that old. Uh, Dan, yes, you are. (laughs) Well, we've got a lot to dig into this morning, and thank you for joining us. We're going to do it together, and we're going to end the week together in high style right here. Who draws the crowd and plays so loud, baby, it's the guitar man. Who's going to steal the show, you know, baby, it's the guitar man.
flicker and the sound is getting dim. The voice begins to falter and the crowds are getting thin. But he never seems to notice he's just got to find another place to play. Good memories in that song. Remember David Gates and Bread, Guitar Man, 72, 1972. What were you doing in 1972 and where were you? Probably some of you, maybe many of you, weren't even breathing at that particular time. Hmm. I was in college. Just went to college. Was a DJ a local radio station in Ruston, Louisiana, KFR, excuse me, uh, 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 KFRA was the first station I worked at in South Louisiana, KRUS, KRUS in Ruston, Louisiana, great memories back then, and having good memories, that's something we all should work for, I mean, pay a price, you want to look back on your life at some future point and say, you know what, I did pretty darn well, made some mistakes, but I worked my way through them, and I'm just going to end well, finish well. That should be our objective. Somewhere in our day every day, we ought to at least let that pop up into our minds for a few minutes, simply because there's so much garbage out there. We don't need to obsess about all that stuff. We need to concentrate on the good things. Just want to start the morning telling you a little bit of information, kind of sad stuff. The cousin of that Kansas City Chiefs fan Clayton McGinney, who was found frozen to death along with fellow fans Ricky Johnson, David Harrington, outside the home of watch party host Jordan Willis, said, we all know what the toxicology report's going to reveal. According to McGinney, Jordan Willis, an HIV researcher, by the way, was known among their circle of friends. They called him the chemist, and everybody knew him as that. Now, what does that mean? It was easy for them to go have fun, but he made one mistake, Caleb explained his friend. Jordan was the chemist. He's a scientist, right? He does what he needs to do. Now, to use my cousin, my best friend, as a guinea pig, he added? Nah, not that. Willis didn't just supply drugs to his friends, according to Caleb. He created the drugs. Jordan is somebody that is known from high school as like creating drugs for people to make them feel better in certain situations, he said. At this point, the country knows what's going to happen, what the toxicology report's going to reveal. We all know that. Now, a preliminary toxicology report has been revealed, but we're told they're going to hide the results. They will never be made public in writing, as official. But the Daily Mail got some inside information. Listen to this. Initial toxicology info on the three men suggests traces of cocaine, THC, fentanyl, 
family member told one reporter the men tested level 30 for fentanyl. That's triple the amount needed to kill them. Willis, according to the Daily Mail, checked into rehab Wednesday, two days ago. Who's the one that gave the drugs to them? And who's the one that needs to be held responsible? Where did it come from? In time, the cousin was certain the truth will come out. But sadly, I mean, that's not, that can't be a good way to go. And it's sad to lose young people's lives like that for something stupid. I wonder where that fentanyl came from. You and I both know it's not far from the southern border to Kansas. And I'm sure some of that fentanyl, if not all of it, came across the southern border with Chinese roots and then all put together and percolated into whatever form it was in, a tab or whatever, and sent across the border to Kansas City to kill those young men. That's just another southern border thing, Mr. Biden. Just one more. So I want to talk to you for a couple of minutes about something that's really troubling me. Some new labor numbers came out this morning. And they are wild, friends. I'm just going to give you the facts and then I'm going to pontificate a little bit. According to the Biden administration, and that's a preface I want to point out. According to the Biden administration, He's the boss of the Federal Bureau of Labor Statistics. According to them, we, the United States, added 353 non-farm payroll jobs in January as the unemployment rate remained at 3.7%. 353,000. Now, let's put that in perspective. Economists thought that the country would add about 180,000 jobs compared to the 216,000 that were added in December, and that the unemployment rate would tick up to about 3.8% from 3.7%. So despite the job gains, American employers cut 82,307 positions in January. That's a 136% jump from the previous month, and a wider trend of layoffs as factors like high inflation continue to hurt business conditions. Now, you take all of that and put it in context. 353,000 non-farm payroll jobs added in one month. 353,000. But yet, employers cut 83,000 positions. With an increased number of people unable to find new jobs after a separation, you know, quit or fired, continuing unemployment insurance is rising too. Now, why would there be increasing unemployment insurance when all these jobs have been added? Something smells, and it smells really, really bad. Now, remember this. The number of jobs in the economy in March of 23 was adjusted down by 266,000. Now, why would they? That's a big number to take down after you've published all this information every month, right? Over a quarter of a million. Oops, we made a boo-boo. We told you accidentally. We created a quarter of a million plus 
jobs and we made a mistake. It smells. The number of jobs added in November was revised up by 9,000. The number added in December was revised up 117,000. Professional and business services had the largest gain in the month. They added 74,000 jobs, led by the healthcare sector, which added 70,000. Government jobs recently went over 23 million for the first time ever in December. 23 million federal employees. That number outdoes the previous all-time high of 23, 22.9 million in May of 2010. So the Biden administration, however you want to couch it, inflation is rampant. They still want to say, oh, it's down, it's down. Listen to what their definition of lowering inflation means. It shot up exponentially in Biden's first year as president. And so it has been trickling down, not from what it was when Biden became president, but what it was at the highest point in his presidency. Oh, it's down. It's still nowhere near what it was after Donald Trump left office. But if you listen to him, listen to them, they're busting their chest, bragging about what a great Bidenomics we have and look what it's doing for every American. Seriously. So this morning, Sandra Smith, Fox News, she had a couple of compadres with her and they weighed in on this stuff. Listen to what they had to say. Now, let me tell you this. Larry Kudlow and Sandra Smith are economists, both of them very good at it. And one would think Sandra Smith wasn't. She's an anchor a gorgeous blonde anchor on Fox News during the day, non-economic stuff, but she is an economist. She actually ran track and was a really good track star at LSU in her college days. But they kind of put some of this in perspective for you. Sandra Smith, so you're writing, texting me early in the morning (laughs) with all kinds of bad news, you know. I was kind of enjoying... Who else am I going to talk to about the economy? (laughs) I I mean, my mea culpa, I was wrong about the slowdown in the recession. So was the entire... I don't think you were wrong. ...forecasting fraternity. Well, the Fed, everyone was wrong. Okay, but you mentioned all these job layoffs. Tomorrow's the jobs number. Taylor's going to accurately predict the jobs number before it Okay. But it is interesting. You got my stock trading app out. The month of January alone, this is from Challenger Gray, mm-hmm. um, total jobs lost, 82,307. Finance jobs lost, 23,000. Tech jobs lost, 15,000. Food-producing jobs lost. And in general, other surveys have shown the same thing. In fact, one survey shows in tech overall last year lost 260,000 jobs. Now, I say it, and I think the spirit you sent it to me, unemployment remains low, and most of these monthly job gains are pretty good. So what's up with these layoffs? Why, why don't they Well, how else do you up? fix inflation, right? This is the Fed's goal, right? You have to you see a drag on the economy before prices can come down. Um, my guess is that the Federal Reserve um, is looking more closely at that than inflation. Um, you know, if the labor market takes a significant hit, we could see a significant 
downturn in the American economy. Um, as far as why is the unemployment, you know there's a lot of other factors that go into the unemployment number. Um, but as far, I, it's a trend I notice. So I said, Larry Kudlow should probably, I need to ask Larry about this. Um, every day I wake up, I see headlines about more job cuts. I mean, these are, these are substantial job cuts. Yeah, these are, techno- are. in technology, numbers. finance. Right. Um, what was it? Uh, Deloitte just announced another this morning. I, there's a trend happening UPS, there. UPS, 12,000. PayPal, 2,500. These are your numbers. Um, total of lost 40,000 jobs, according to one survey. I think we should take note. I think we should take note, because how else do you bring prices down without inflicting some serious economic pain on the American people? So let's remind everybody that the reason this has to happen and the reason the labor market would be seeing this hit is because the Fed's been tasked with tackling inflation that was caused in the last couple of years. Mm. Um, So I think there's a significant thing happening there. That's the technical term. A significant thing. I like that. So, Taylor... um, on that subject of government spending, mm-hmm. okay, which happens to be inflationary, mm-hmm. uh, and I will credit the Wall Street Journal this morning, but it's something Sandra and I talked about, other people have talked about it. They are still spending their keisters off, okay? <laughs> and I just want to go back. The misnamed Inflation Reduction Act mm-hmm. uh, re-estimated $1.2 trillion by Penn, Warden, whatever they're called, because they're unlimited subsidies going in there. The so-called CHIPS Act, in total, $300 billion. And then just for the hell of it, a trillion-dollar infrastructure bill. That's oh. what's being spent out. So I'm going to read some yep. more numbers, and then you can tee off on it. <laughs> the deficit in 23, fiscal uh-huh. 23, was a cool $2 trillion. This is with a 3.7% unemployment rate. Mm. And Def- like you said. $2 trillion. Hang on. 7.5% of GDP. Yep. Okay. And the middle of... Was you know we're growing at three percent, and in twenty four fiscal twenty four the first quarter, up twenty percent five hundred nine billion dollars. They're on track for a two point four trillion dollar deficit, which would be about eight and a half percent of GDP. I mean this is insanity. Wild. It's insane. Insanity. It's insane. And like you said, all this spending is unfortunately you guessed it inflationary, which is why we're in this problem to begin with. Uh, Nassim Taleb, author of Black Swan, mm. came out in the last few days and said oh. we're heading towards another cliff. He really doesn't like the debt and deficits going on. Even Jamie Dimon of J.P. Morgan Chase coming out in the last few weeks and saying this is a problem. So when you hear sort of Mr. Doom and Gloom say it, maybe you think, oh, well, that's his position. But when Jamie Dimon is really talking about it, too, you have to perk up your ears and listen. I don't know if it's a one-year, a two-year problem, but it could be a five, 10, 20-year problem if we don't fix our spending problem. The biggest contributor to GDP <laughs> in the last year is government. The yes. G, the G, right? C plus Fact. I plus G plus net exports. Grew at about 4.5%. Now, it's a small component, so it's not driving. But still, the biggest growth rate of the GDP components was but government. That's, that's the context in which Jamie Dimon government, made those comments John in Davos. Government, which you have covered Adrian, for all these <laughs> I, years. I, I, I still long for the heady days of the end of the Clinton administration, not, not necessarily for the president, but for the economy, where we were running a budget surplus. Yes, that's And they correct. were actually having meetings at the White those House were the days. about retiring the debt. What to do with it? Point was $5.7 trillion, And what to give in what vehicle to give investors when they weren't selling T-bills anymore? Well, they fixed that problem. <laughs> <laughs> 
Eight and a half percent of GDP budget deficit, and you're growing the economy at three percent with less than four uh, percent, and inflation is supposedly coming down. I don't get it. I admit I was wrong in my forecast about a bad downturn last year. But I don't know. This stuff is not sustainable. We could also talk about how people can't afford to live, and 25% of them are living paycheck, paycheck to paycheck. paycheck. And, and, and a small percentage of Americans have enough stash for a rainy day. Um, I got it's it. tight. So how are we supposed to reconcile what we're hearing coming out of our government? Well, let me give you a couple of little examples of how this is off. Way down at the bottom of the report of this in the morning, there are a couple of paragraphs. The first one's about unemployment claims. Listen to this. Initial, in other words, first time, unemployment claims climbs to 224,000 last month, while continuing claims rise, they go up, to 1.9 million. Why is it this? First time claims up 224,000. Long-term claims goes up even further to 1.9 million as layoffs increasingly filter through to longer-term unemployment. But it all boils down to this next thing. Listen closely to what I'm about to tell you. You know, I told you at the top when we went into this and first mentioned how great everything was, new jobs, new jobs, new jobs last month, according to the Biden Department of Labor. Here's why. Quote, the number of jobs initially reported by the federal government in its monthly reports was revised down by a total of just a paltry three quarters of a million jobs last year. One fourth of all the jobs that were announced last year. Look what we did this month. Man, we're putting people back to work. Manufacturing sectors on fire. Oh, by the way, we missed it a little bit. 25% of the numbers we gave you. I would, I would even say this if it wasn't so obvious. Why do they keep giving us these bogus numbers? It's election season. Why wouldn't they? We have the most dishonest president. I think he makes, he makes Richard Nixon look like a saint does Joe Biden, and that would take some doing, some real doing. Well, my gosh, it just keeps getting worse and worse and worse. So let's for a second, let's jump out of the United States. Let's go over to the Middle East. President Biden yesterday, he pulled out his pen and he executed a new executive order that imposes sanctions on any foreign nations who are nationals, not nations, nationals, people from foreign countries, who are living in Israeli settlements in the West Bank, and they've alleged committed violence against Palestinians. Democrats in the U.S. have been broadly critical of the Israeli government. We all know that. 
And now it looks like our president has joined that rank of people. They don't like Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu for supporting the construction of settlements in the West Bank, which was deemed illegal under international law by the United Nations Security Council way back in 1979. So let me ask you this. What power, what authority does the United Nations have over sovereign countries? They like to make everybody think that they do, and so they put out stuff like this. It was deemed illegal. They don't have that authority in any country on the planet, the United Nations. And so why would Netanyahu in the West Bank, and you know what the West Bank means. It's the West Bank of the Jordan River. It runs up at the top, the east side of the border, right up at the top of the border between Israel and Syria. You know where Israel got its borders from? After World War II, the UK, England, Britain, they gave all of that land, all of that land. They owned it for generations, did the the Brits. They gave it to the Israeli people. It was deeded to the Israeli people. And just that one little sliver, they call it the West Bank, and it's because it's the West Bank of the Jordan River. Nobody wants to go back and follow the process. They just don't. So what does his executive order do? It imposes a broad swath of sanctions on anybody who resides in such a settlement in the West Bank and has committed violence against Palestinians resisting their presence by seizing their U.S.-based property and banning them from entry into the country. That phrase caught my eye. By seizing their U.S.-based property. Biden is seizing anybody that lives in the West Bank. Anybody that is Israeli. He is seizing those people's U.S.-based property and banning them from coming to the U.S. Here's the quote. High levels of extremist settler violence, forced displacement of people in villages, property destruction has reached intolerable levels and constitutes a serious threat to the peace, security, and stability of the West Bank and Gaza, Israel, and the broader Middle East region. That's in his executive order. These actions undermine the foreign policy objectives of the United States, including the viability of a two-state solution. Once again, there is no such thing, a two-state solution. Israel owns the land. Now, you can object. You can try to go to war to Israel to take the West Bank away from them. But according to the deed, which probably would be questionable in any court on the land, it would have to go all the way back to the roots of that particular plot of land. And where do you go to find that, you know? This executive order restricts people who reside in the settlements and have committed one of four acts 
threats or acts of violence against Palestinians, property destruction or seizure, from having property interest in the United States, receiving payment from any United States person, and from traveling to the United States and or obtaining any immigration benefit. It also imposes secondary sanctions on any foreign businesses that might aid such persons. So who lives there? Primarily, mostly Israeli citizens of the Orthodox Jewish faith and have long been accused of committing violence to displace Palestinians from territories that the country captured during the Six-Day War in 1967. The settlers have received significant political support from right-wing Israeli political elements, notably Itamar ben Gavir, who is Israel's Minister of National Security in the current Netanyahu government. It was not immediately clear if ben Gavir and high-ranking Israeli government members will be the subject of those sanctions. The U.S. considers Israel an ally. So what the heck do we have? What's our business of sticking nose into their domestic policies? We have no right, no right to do that. So why would Joe Biden do that? You know the answer. He's being pilloried across the world by Palestinians, pro-Hamas Palestinians, who are demonstrating everywhere he goes. He made a trip to Michigan, who has a massive residential area outside Dearborn, Michigan, where Muslims have resided. They've become a really good, large community there. Very progressive. I know people that are part of that. And he went up there trying to get the Muslims in the U.S. to understand, I'm not pro-Israel. I'm pro-Israeli and pro Palestinian at the same time. He's trying to build the fake bridge there for one reason, to get votes. We'll see what happens. Let's move on. You know by now the name Fannie Willis, F-A-N-I. That's the wrong pronunciation. I know she corrected a lot of people. It's Fannie, F-A-N-I. If it was Fannie, it would be F-A-N-N. I. Well, guess what Fannie Fanny got in her mailbox? The House Judiciary Committee has subpoenaed her. Uh-oh, here we go. They sent a subpoena today, early this morning, to Fulton County DA Fannie Willis for documents related to her potential misuse of federal funds related to her indictment of Trump. Here's what it says. On August 24, 23, the Committee on the Judiciary wrote to you requesting documents in the custody of the Fulton County District DA's office relating in part to its receipt and use of federal grand, uh, grant funds issued by the Department of Justice. A letter sent from House Judiciary Chairman Jim Jordan states, since that date, we've sent two additional letters, one on September 27, another on December 5th, Reiterating our request, to date, you failed to comply voluntarily with any of our requests. In accordance with the attached schedule instructions, you, Fonnie T. Willis, in your capacity as District Attorney of Fulton County and head of the Fulton County District Attorney's Office, are required to produce the following items in your possession, custody, or control 
from the period of September 1, 2020 to present in unredacted form. Here's what they're demanding. All documents and communications referring or relating to the Fulton County DA's office, receipt and use of federal funds, including but not limited to federal funds from the Department of Justice's Office of Justice Programs, Office of Juvenile Justice and Delinquency Prevention, and Office of Community-Oriented Policing Services. All documents and communications referring or relating to any allegations of the misuse of FED funds by the DA's office, including but not limited to federal... I hate these long, drawn-out documents, but they got to say it. Basically, they want all the information that pertains to all the money that she got for her office from the federal government. So this committee is bipartisan. Six Republicans, three Democrats. And they say they're going to look into Willis's relationship with her alleged lover, Nathan Wade, and the alleged misuse of taxpayer funds. Everybody's been reporting about it now for weeks. Willis's faced continued scrutiny over whether her indictment against Trump was politically motivated. And everybody says, in unanimous consent, yes, that's what it's all about. And we'll likely find out, just like we're finding out about all this other stuff, we have a a really dirty story to tell you about later regarding the January 6th committee. It's all about everything is nothing is about the rule of law. It's all about get Trump. They're foaming at the mouth to get rid of the orange man. I won't belabor this point either, but what are they afraid of? (laughs) What are they afraid of? He's going to, I can tell you what it is. He's going to bring a big bright flashlight and he's going to start showing the world all the SHIT they've been involved in up to their noses for these years, perpetrating what their objective is, which is to, to unite it, unite hands everywhere across the nation with like-minded leftists and take control of the government of the United States. All the while pointing to Donald Trump and saying, if he gets back in office, he's going to destroy our democracy. They've already finished that project by about 40%. Democrats have. Here's another example. The United Nations Relief and Workers Agency for Palestine Refugees has finally admitted what has been obvious for years. At least some of its employees support are members of terrorist groups like Hamas. It's nauseating to me to realize how much money has been given to them out of taxpayer dollars Basically, what this means, folks, is you and I are complicit in that 1,201-day slaughter by Hamas of 1,200 Israelis. Evidence provided by the Israeli government that show the relief agency's employees participated, actually participated in the hard October terrorist attacks in Israel led the organization to immediately terminate the contracts of these staff members and launch an investigation. Donald Trump, when he found out early in his um, term in office that this 
agency, interagency of the United Nations was doing that, we'd been giving them billions of dollars, billions of dollars. He immediately stopped the aid. Day one of the Biden administration, he went after it. We've given them $2 billion since Joe's been in office. We funded, in part, the slaughter of those Jews. The evidence also forced the U.S. State Department to temporarily pause additional funding for the agency as well. All these problems are nothing new. The Relief and Works Agency for Palestine Refugees, they have a history of employing individuals affiliated with Hamas over and over. Their schools in the Middle East have used textbooks with extremist and anti-Semitic content. Photos and reports have repeatedly shown in its classrooms displaying other materials that delegitimize Israel, denigrate Jews, and venerate martyrdom. You need to kill yourself killing an infidel. And if you do, you'll get 60, 80, 100 different virgins when you get get to heaven, according to Islam. Such manifest bias was a key reason behind Trump's decision to suspend that funding back in 2018. Biden's State Department said the renewed funding was contingent on the U.N. agencies policing its employees in classrooms, but it didn't enforce it. They don't enforce anything. They tell us trying to justify giving away the, the whole farm to all these terrorist and terrorist organizations Oh, we're going to watch them. We're going to watch them. Like they said they were going to do with Ukraine. And we did a report the other day, and millions of the money that we sent to Ukraine specifically to buy ammunition disappeared. It was stolen. Back to this other Hamas thing. Last year, the Geneva-based non-governmental organization UN Watch reported numerous examples of UNRWAs, that's this agency we're talking about, their gross and systematic violations of neutrality and other UN rules in their hiring of teachers and in their use of curricula inside UNRWA schools that constitute incitement to hatred, anti-Semitism, and terrorism. No, it boils down to this. We shouldn't have stopped payment temporarily while we investigate over there, or excuse me, why the United Nations is investigating over there, and they want us to believe whatever the UN comes up with, it's going to be true. Yeah, right. They're getting several billion dollars a year from us. They'll lie through their teeth, not because that's the right thing to do, but because they want our money. That's what the UN is all about. No. We should cut that off, period. It should be canceled permanently. We should never give them another nickel. But who's leading the nation here today? Quid pro Joe. And everything in his life is up for grabs if there's enough money in it. Off to gang and showtime. Uh, do you know this guy? I'm not gonna cry, am I? Only if you don't believe in the power of friendship. Really? You guys are good. <laughs> Movies, 
right when you want them. Watch unlimited movies instantly for only nine bucks a month from Netflix. That's so cute, it's stupid. You need brake pads? We have brake pads. Like dependable brake pads, quieter brake pads, longer life brake pads, and performance brake pads. At AutoZone, we have all the brake pads you need so you can get the job done right. Get in the zone, AutoZone. So you guys grew up together? Yeah, since third grade. Congress. 
During the Obama administration, Joe was the designated foreign policy point person. He was the bagman, so to speak, for Barack in Ukraine. The House Oversight Committee argues that Joe threatened to withhold that aid to Ukraine until then Ukrainian President Petro Poroshenko fired Shokin, who had jurisdiction for an investigation into the Ukrainian energy company Burisma. And we all know what that's about. Does this mean anything significant? You know what? I think it does. I think they give us these information items to keep us thinking. There's got to be something there. There's got to be something there. All we need to do is figure out what's there. Just as a point of understanding and knowing it's out there, if there wasn't anything to it, why wouldn't the White House let it go? Actually, I'm pretty sure if you dug deep enough, you could find it somewhere online. But I think there's a principle there. You want to go through proper channels to do it. White, the best way to do it is to let the White House tell them we need it for our investigation and let them be scared to death and see what they do. It can't be called anything doing with national security. <laughs> We're not getting any, anything out of that Ukraine stuff, but there are a lot of people here that are getting a lot out of it, if you know what I mean. So back to Tucker Carlson. He uh, He's a good analysis of circumstances, the whys asking and getting answers for those whys about what the United States is doing and why, what our government's up to. Tucker's always their own point. This one? I think it will intrigue you. Good evening and welcome to Tucker Carlson. Tonight we're coming to you all week from Brazil. You may not have noticed, we didn't actually, but Brazil is the last significant country in the Western Hemisphere that has a pro-American government. And in a lot of ways, Brazil isn't that different from the United States. And It's an enormous place, bigger landmass in the continental U.S., huge population, beautiful, rich natural resources, and suddenly, like the United States, over the last 15 years, Brazil has found itself dangerously dependent on China. Here we go. So what exactly are the Chinese government's aims here in Brazil? And why isn't the Biden administration doing anything to stop the Chinese military from establishing a threatening new beachhead in our hemisphere? They seem to be abetting it. What is that exactly? We're investigating all of it for a brand new documentary that we're making now. We'll have it for you soon. But one of the reasons that so few people in the United States noticed that China is colonizing formerly independent countries so close to our shores is that we have, as they used to say, problems of our own here in the United States. The American economy primarily, which is in real trouble right now, and it's not something we can fix with a cleverly crafted bailout as we've done before. The problem here isn't that a few reckless quants on Wall Street did crazy things with credit default swaps. The problem feels deeper than that. It feels systemic. And you see it in what you buy, everything. The prices of everything are shooting beyond reach for a lot of people in the United States. That would include energy, food, durable goods, housing, education, credit. All of it is a lot more expensive than it was just recently. Why? Why has median rent in Manhattan jumped by 25% in a single year? Why has your grocery bill gone up by hundreds of dollars a month? Why can't you afford to fill your car anymore? Those are fair questions. It's not like we've run out of the commodities we need. The United States has a lot of them. It's a continental country. It stretches from the Atlantic to the Pacific. So we've got plenty of room for housing. We've got more than enough oil and gas within our own borders to be completely energy independent with some left over. 
We've got more fertile farmland than any country on the planet. Food should be cheap. So the problem is definitely not our resources. Our resources in the United States are abundant. The problem is our leaders. The things you need are too expensive to buy because politicians created inflation. And they did it for a simple reason. They'd racked up so much debt buying votes and enriching themselves and their families that they had no choice but to weaken the U.S. dollar in order to make the payments on the loans they took out. It's that simple. And then once inflation arrived, ideologues in the Biden administration immediately understood how it could be used. So since you can no longer afford to drive your car, you will have no choice but to accept their green energy scams. And that means their donors who run those scams will get richer and they will get control over the U.S. economy. So everyone wins except you. It's perfect. None of it happened by accident. This is a manufactured disaster. Now, in a normal country, few leaders would dare to pull off something this brazen and destructive. They'd be afraid to. They'd be flirting with revolution. It'd be too risky. And the people who run our country are fully aware of the risks, and they're very worried about it. If you're wondering why they're hyperventilating about January 6th, that's why. They seem afraid because they are afraid. To them, a crowd of angry people at the Capitol looks a lot like a foretaste of things to come. That's exactly why they're so desperate to take your guns away. It's why they're screaming at you about trans rights and systemic racism and the all-encompassing evil of the president of faraway Russia, huh? Why are they talking about them, these things? It seems confusing at first. What does any of that have to do with our actual problems here and improving your life? Well, none of it has anything to do with improving your life, and that's the point. They're hoping that if they keep screaming at you, you'll be too bewildered and too off-balance to notice what is happening to the country around you, much less able to fight back against it. And just to make sure you're too bewildered to act as they scream, they shift the blame from themselves to you. So they're now pronouncing you guilty for the crimes that they committed. You've watched this happen with the economy. First, they told you that inflation wasn't real. You're imagining that, but you weren't. So then they explained that actually inflation is happening, but it's a good thing because you deserve it. You deserve to pay more for the things you buy. Why? Because your expectations were way too high. You pampered first world Karen. You expected to eat meat for dinner and take an annual vacation on commercial airliners that departed on time. What were you thinking? You expected to fill your tank or buy a sheet of plywood for less than 75 bucks. You expected to be able to send your children to the public schools you pay for with the expectation they might learn something. You thought you could load your car in the Safeway parking lot with groceries you could afford without being shot to death by armed robbers. You imagined you could live in a country that resembled the place you grew up in, where people spoke English and didn't throw trash out the window or smoke fentanyl on the sidewalk. But it turns out, Mr. and Mrs. America, you expected too much, and that's your fault. In Nigeria, all of this is normal. So stop whining and eat your bugs. Bloomberg News actually wrote a column on this. Their recommendation was, if you want to save money, let your dog die. Seriously. They really said that, and they meant it, too. But apparently, you didn't get the message. You love your dog. So now they've gone further than that. Now they're telling you that you cannot have the one thing that most people want more than anything else, the one thing that biological instinct drives all of us to want, and that's children. Did you get that? Two things in there I wanted to point out to you. Number one, they know that the generation, my generation, I'm 70 years old, people my age and above 
we're dying off. And it's just a matter of a few years and we'll all be gone. So what does that mean? What goes with us? The knowledge of when life was way better in the United States. And then our kids, my kids are in their 40s right now. All three of them. They got in on part of the really good stuff from my generation. So they have that memory. And by the time they become 70 or older, the generations behind them, they won't have any idea. It's going to be something that mom and dad and grandpa and grandma told them about. So by that time, the government will have dumbed it down and have convinced every one of the American people that that's normal. What they're living in at that point is normal. Don't think that's not truthful. Tucker picked up on something we've talked about on this show over and over and over again. The government, in part, but the nation, in part, among wealthy people, they are actual eugenicists. They want to be able to have a finite number of people alive in the United States and never to exceed it. And that's not a new idea. It's been around since men and women have been around. China has perpetually killed people. They've made it a law that you can only have one child in your family over there to stop their explosive increase in births, forced abortions, controlling life. That's what this world is coming to in government. And that gives them total control of everything. Now, God forbid that that would ever take root in the United States, but we are so darn close right now. I don't think we realize how close we are. Let's move on. You want to talk about destruction of a democracy? Listen to what Oregon is doing. The Oregon Supreme Court has stopped 10 Republican lawmakers from running for re-election. The Supreme Court of Oregon. And that court is siding with Democrats' ballot ban. Here's the nitty-gritty. That court yesterday decided that 10 Republican state senators who happened to participate in a record-long boycott last summer to block bills in their state legislature that would extend access to abortion for minors, transgender procedures, and medical intervention, as well as another measure on ghost guns. Those people are evil. They're not worth it. And they are not letting them run for re-election this year. The Oregon Senate Republican Caucus charged that the Democrat stacked Supreme Court sides with Democrats and union cronies on Measure 113, despite plain language of Constitution. The caucus stressed that the state high court's decision is effectively ending the service of 10 Republican senators who represent one-third of the Oregon Senate. 
Their ruling upholds Democratic Oregon Secretary of State LaVon Griffin Valadez's announcement last August to disqualify those 10 from the ballot under a measure aimed at stopping boycotts. In other words, taking away the First Amendment right. Measure 113, passed by voters in 2022, amended the state constitution to bar lawmakers from re-election if they have more than 10 unexcused absences. Last year's boycott lasted six weeks. There you go. The longest in state history. Stalled hundreds of bills. Five lawmakers sued over the Secretary of State's decision. I'll give you the names, but that, that doesn't matter. They were among the 10 GOP senators who racked up more than those 10 absences. We obviously disagree with the Supreme Court's ruling, but more importantly, we're deeply disturbed by the chilling impact this decision will have to crush dissent. I'm disappointed but can't say I'm surprised that a court of judges appointed solely by Governor Kate Brown and Governor Tina Kotek would rule in favor of political rhetoric rather than their own precedent. The only winners in this case are Democrat politicians and their union backers. This is unheard of. I don't think it has ever happened before. I've never heard of it happening before. I thought the voters were the ones that got the right in a democracy to choose who's going to govern them. But a Supreme Court constituted by 100% far-left Democrats. I mean, we're talking about Oregon. Washington, Oregon, same difference. That's killing democracy. Just pointing that out for you. Moving on, I told you we had uh, a really negative, bad, kind of sad story to tell you about. There's a PBS documentary that was released earlier this week, and it shows that Nancy Pelosi's January 6th committee used James Goldston the former president of ABC News, to create a miniseries whose primary purpose was to create primetime propaganda that would reach the American public. Now, I've heard those allegations, and James Goldston is a very famous producer from Hollywood, and he's now with ABC News. The committee was just blasted by critics as being a show trial because Nancy Pelosi rejected the nominees of the minority party for the first time in American history, by the way. Always when there is a majority leader in any committee, any committee, any committee, it's normal to allow the minority to have representatives proportionately on any committee as the split between the majority percentages and the minority's percentages. Nancy said, nope. Every single member of the committee opposed Donald Trump. Every single one. Testimony was initially held behind closed doors, away from the people, meaning witnesses were denied due process since the other side of the argument was never represented. There was no cross-examination of any witness, nor any contrary evidence ever brought up. In other words, these hand-picked witnesses that were coached at what to say They couldn't be cross-examined by the other side. The other side happened to be Liz Cheney and what's-his-name, the Hollywood hit or thinks he was, 
from Ohio. Neither one of them are in office. They went to the the crap. The, <laughs> the, oh my gosh, I can't believe I said that. <laughs> they went to the garbage, okay? As it was reported at the time, the committee brought in this guy, Goldston, to be a consultant despite some controversial history as the network's leader at uh, a time when NBC ABC was to have buried the story of the late billionaire sex criminal Jeffrey Epstein. Goldston's work for the committee, it was very obvious very on in the first publicly televised hearings as committee members read their remarks from a teleprompter. Does that sound like a true hearing? Witnesses were handpicked to offer damning testimony, whether it was true or not. This documentary, PBS of all places, I can't imagine them even wanting to do this and be confronted with facts because they're in the tank far left and have been forever. Their documentary shows Goldston's involvement as part of an effort to organize the trove of material the committee got together. Ironically, the committee destroyed much of that evidence. You know the story. We found out about it, and it's out there, and it's still being tried to recover by Republicans, making all of the testimony impossible to verify, and by the way, compromising Donald Trump's rights. But that that doesn't matter, right? The work of that committee has been used in federal and state prosecutions despite its one-sided nature, despite legitimate legal concerns about the validity of its subpoenas, which some argue violated the terms, violated the terms of its enabling resolution. So it's, it's just really nerve-wracking for me as after all of this stuff happened, everything that was related to January 6th, that was crammed down the Americans' throats. And by the way, overseas as well. It was planned, it was very coordinated, yet every couple of days, some news blockbuster comes out. Our own Steve Baker is a big part of being that blockbuster that we're talking about coming out every few days. January 6th was a sham It was unconstitutional. It violated every kind of fundamental principle that is an operating principle in the U.S. House of Representatives. And who's paying attention? Well, people in Congress are. People in Washington, D.C. are. But what's American? What are we doing? What are the people out here thinking? We bought into the narrative that was crammed down our throats. That's why they had a producer to make it palatable. And, oh, I might. Documentaries, especially about government. Those everybody likes. Doesn't have to have substance. It's just got to look good, right? Well, the House has passed a bill. This is kind of interesting. We're going to move on, get just a little bit of the southern border stuff in here. The House passed a bill to deport illegal migrants who were arrested for driving drunk. That's no big deal, right? I mean, you know, you can't drive drunk. 150 Democrats voted against it, but the House still got it passed. 
It's called the Protect Our Communities from DUIs Act. It passed 274 to 150 yesterday. 59 Democrats joined Republicans to forward the bill to the Senate. Representative Barry Moore of Alabama introduced the bill in January. The Protect Our Communities from DUIs Act amends the Immigration and Nationality Act to ensure that illegals caught driving under the influence can be deported and not allowed back into the U.S. In the U.S., someone dies in a crash with an impaired driver every 45 minutes. Representative Barry Moore presented this. He said, I lost two of my young newlywed constituents to an illegal immigrant driving under the influence of alcohol. Today, my legislation that forces President Biden to deport illegal immigrants who drive drunk or impaired passed the House. I thank my House GOP colleagues for joining me to protect American families by ensuring illegals who commit these offenses are off our streets. He told the story about what happened. They were on a motorcycle when an illegal alien ran over them in a pickup truck. Responding to a post about the 150 Democrats who voted against the bill, an aghast Elon Musk posted this, what the heck is going on? I'll remind you back in December, one illegal migrant from El Salvador who had previously been deported from the U.S. four different times killed a Colorado mother and her son in a crash. He was under the influence of alcohol. Melissa Powell, 47, her son, Reardon Powell, 16, were both killed in the crash immediately. By the way, that migrant, Jose Guadalupe, was estimated to have been going 100 miles an hour at the time of the deadly crash. This illegal immigrant stuff. Now look, in the Biden administration, we're only three years into his version, his chapter of flooding the nation with illegals. And if you want to look at it this way, his goal, his objective, it obviously is part of his plan. He's doing a darn good job, isn't he? He's literally flooding the nation. We have no idea who they are. He doesn't want to. He doesn't care. He knows at his age and in his state of mind, he's not going to be here a long time. But what he's doing is what the Democrat Party has propped him up to do. Open the southern borders and get more of those low-class people, maybe the top of the hip, uh, top of the hill of them, is regular blue-class American kind of people. But it goes downhill from there. Trying to get them in here to create a permanent Democrat Party voting class. The Democrat Party is losing membership and has been for years. And they're desperate because if they lose that, they lose their power over government and they're going the other way with it. They want to amass more and more and more support for their cause, which is to have a permanent ruling class here. So you had some people that have been weighing in on this, especially after those thugs in New York City beat and tortured pretty much those two New York City cops. Young guys, cocky as could be. You've seen some of the footage. You know who I'm talking about. Judge Janine, 
was especially tough about this. Look, these illegals came here illegally. They were not invited here. Uh, and they don't belong in Rikers. They belong back in Venezuela, if indeed they are Venezuelans. Okay, they need to be deported immediately because we don't want people like that in our country. We don't want people like that who literally take down the establishment, law and order, who violently attack a police officer, get him to the ground and kick him in the face, kick him in the head, and then they join each other. And, you know, the amazing thing is these people want asylum. I don't believe they're entitled to asylum. They say they come here because they'll be persecuted in their own country. Chances are they deserve to be persecuted in their own country because I'm going to make a bet that this isn't the first time they've tried to take down a police officer or someone in authority. And yet they're going to want us to give them asylum from their country. So now the cries are out there. We need to deport those guys. It's apparent that several of them came from Venezuela. Maybe all of them did. They kind of act like they're running in a gang, like uh, they've been together for a while. And so Pam Bondi, attorney general down in Florida, she got on top of this topic and she just went crazy. These people don't deserve to be here. The illegals just being here is bad enough, but when you have the all of the criminality they're bringing with them, We just need to do something to stop that. We've got to have laws that are being enforced, and we need to go back to enforcing our immigration laws. None of this would be happening if those people weren't here. And somebody she was talking to said, well, we just need to send these kids back to Venezuela where they came from. But here's what nobody's even realizing or thinking about. Venezuela doesn't want them back. In fact, it's been proven Nicolas Maduro, their president there, he went to jails and took a bunch of these unwanted people, they're unwanted in Venezuela, and paid for them to get to the southern border of our country and get them in here. They don't want those kids to come back or any of these. They're taking criminals and sending them to us. Now, what good is that going to do the United States of America? I'm not going to belabor the southern border stuff anymore today. We hear it day in and day out. And it doesn't matter. The Biden administration is not going to do anything about it. Nothing. They like it. They want it. If they didn't like it, if they didn't want it, Joe Biden could have that, excuse me, have that border shut down again in one day. And when I say one day, I'm not talking about 24 hours. I'm saying one day, one daytime work, eight to five. He could shut it down. That would be according to the rule of law, novel and new idea for Joe, right? But they want it. No matter what you hear them say, they want it. We're going to take a short break on the other side of this. Guess what Ford Motor Company is doing? Oh, my gosh. They're kicking Joe Biden in his booty. (laughs) What are you talking about? That's next. We got you something. It's a deep, deep dish pepperoni and bacon pizza, and we gift wrapped it with over three and a half feet of bacon. You've been working so hard. We love you. 
Get a Little Caesars large bacon wrap deep deep dish pizza for just 12 bucks. Try our convenient app and pizza portal pickup. Pizza, pizza. Lowe's knows you're a craftsman guy. You have a lot of tools. Tools for everything you've done around the house. But there's the moment you realize your new project means new tools. When tool guys need new tools, they start with Lowe's. The new home of Craftsman. Wendy's famous 4 for 4 is heating up with a new spicy crispy chicken sandwich. The queen of spice is delivering that spicy chicken you love with lettuce and mayo between two deliciously soft buns. And yes, in classic 4 for 4 fashion, you can get all that spicy goodness with spicy or crispy nuggets, fries, and a drink to cool off, all for just 4 bucks. Is it getting hot in here? Or did Wendy's just deliver the hottest deal in fast food? We got you. Offer includes four-piece nuggets, junior frying value drink. Price participation may vary. How hard is it to unlock your car? Not hard. How hard is it to shut your car door? Not hard. How hard is it to start your car? Not hard. How hard is it to put your seatbelt on? People are still dying in car accidents because they were not wearing a seatbelt, which is stupid because it's not that hard. Smarten up, buckle up. Think road safety. A message from the government of South Australia. My pappy said, son, you're going to drive me to drinking if you don't stop driving that hot rod Lincoln. How long has it been since you heard that song, Hot Rod Lincoln? I don't even remember what year it was. That's an oldie but goodie. Anyway, Ford Motor Company. My second professional career, my first one was radio. My second one was in the car business, Ford Lincoln Mercury. Know a lot, at least I did then, about Ford Motor Company and its car lines. I was in the car business when Ford Motor Company came up with its very first Explorer. Guess what's going on? The seventh generation Explorer SUV is about to come out. It will be sold only with a 2.3 liter engine or a 3.0 liter engine. Now, wait a minute, liter, that means, you're right, gasoline engine. Gasoline engine, no longer a hybrid. Ford announced it yesterday, seventh generation of the Explorer. No hybrid, all gas. While some automakers are racing to electrify their range, Ford has hit reverse. With its best-selling SUV, they offer the car with only that 2.3 or 3.0 liter gas engine. Ford blamed, guess what? Poor sales and demand of the hybrid variant. It was offered first with the introduction of the sixth generation in 2020. That year, under 5% of buyers chose the hybrid version. The new seventh generation model will start at about $40,000, which is almost $4,400 more than the current model, $8,000 more than the redesigned 2020 model. It's going to go up, but you don't have to look for battery chargers anywhere. This new Explorer features an updated front end with a larger grille, 13-inch touchscreen, 
and a refreshed interior. Upgrades the automaker will be hoping can revive sales and boost interest in its top-selling SUV. Sales of the sixth-generation Explorer have consistently been on the decline since its introduction in 2020. Last year, they sold about 187,000 of them. That was the second time since 2019 deliveries dipped below 200,000. A Ford spokesperson said that the Ford Police Interceptor Utility, the version of the Explorer used by police agencies around the country, still going to be available with a hybrid powertrain. Hybrid is still available for Police Interceptor Utility. Why? Because that's where the greatest demand is from our customers. I would have never thought about that. Consumers, not so much, right? The hybrid is really desirable to law enforcement because it enables officers to run equipment on board using the lithium-ion battery even when the engine's off. That generates cost savings because there is no need to keep the engine idling. Have you ever driven down the road? We have it not far from our studio. Interstate 49's there. And going back towards downtown Shreveport, Louisiana, almost every day, there's a Ford Explorer police car sitting in the median with its lights flashing, and there's never anybody in the car. And I've always wondered, till I read this story last night, I've always wondered how they can do that without running down the batteries. Well, they're hybrids. And so they have that battery, the alternate version of gasoline. They have that running those lights so they don't run down their batteries. They'll have to come up with something else for the uh, interceptors. Like I said, they've got to continue to do it for that reason, if for no other reason. What do you got going on this weekend? What are you going to do this weekend? You know what I'm going to try to do? And this may blow some of your minds, and some of you may think, no big deal. I'm going to try hard to leave politics out of my uh, thought process and my attention this weekend. I'm coming up on some stuff in my life that uh, it's gonna it's gonna kick me in the in the rear end for a little bit. I'll tell you more about what's going on in the in the upcoming months. But I'm trying to slow down my thinking. I'm uh, I'm one of those guys. My mind goes if I'm awake, my mind's going 90 miles an hour, and. Uh, as you well know, when you do stuff like that, it weighs on you over time. I'm trying to clear my mind and get ready for a couple of events that are coming up. And nothing it's nothing desperate. But uh, you may hear the way that uh, we do some of our reporting here, some of the things we talk about. You may hear some tweaking going on and wonder why. just thought I would throw that out there for you. Yeah, I'm not going to ignore, believe me, I'm not going to ignore anything doing with the election. I'm not going to ignore anything. I'm just going to be a little lower keyed on much much of what we cover here. Maybe not so uh, animated sometimes during the show. News, big news came out yesterday. This is really a blockbuster if it pans out. Trump has put Minnesota in play. Can you believe that? Minnesota in an upcoming presidential election and now Minnesotans are telling pollsters, hey, we're leaning towards Trump. 
Wow. A Survey USA poll of 2,000 likely voters has Biden getting 42% support in Minnesota compared to 39 for Trump. That's inside the margin of error. Other 9% and undecided 10% make up the rest of the field. What's interesting is Biden, who is very unpopular, among the same group of voters, U.S. Senator Amy Klobuchar leads generic Republican opponent by 16 points, 49 to 33, and she's not in the race. The poll was taken between January 24th and 29th with a margin of error plus or minus 3%. In an exclusive interview in December, Trump said he intended to campaign in a way that would expand the Republican map. One of the other things I'm going to do, he said, and I may be foolish in doing it, is I'm going to make a heavy play for New York, New Jersey, heavy play for Virginia, heavy play for New Mexico, and a heavy play for a state that hasn't been one in years, Minnesota. No Republican presidential candidate has won Minnesota since then-President Richard Nixon humiliated Democrat George McGovern in 1972. In 2020, Biden allegedly won Minnesota by 7.2 points, 52 to 45%. But in 2016, Hillary barely won Minnesota by 1.5 points, 46 to 44 What does that mean? Well, there's no question that with the right message, the right timing, Minnesota is in play. Since 2020, things have only gotten worse there, especially in the blue states like Minnesota. Twin cities of Minneapolis-St. Paul are dealing with urban blight unseen since the 70s. That's all a direct result of failed Democrat policies. The internals inside the survey U.S. Survey USA poll, they're intriguing. Listen closely to these. In the 18 to 34 year olds, Trump leads Joe by seven points, 43 to 36%. Biden does lead in the 35 to 49 age bracket by 10 and smokes Trump with those over 65 by 14. Now, this is not the first poll showing Trump doing well with younger voters. My guess is when the future belongs to you and you see Joe deliberately destroying that future with his gender insanity, invasion of illegal aliens, soul-crushing housing, food, and energy costs, Trump's mean tweets don't look so mean. You know what I mean? I wonder, too, this is not some sort of cultural backlash like we had in the 1970s, a very healthy black backlash against the self-important 60s. We're going to keep our eyes on this stuff. I don't like to get into the nitty-gritty, the down-low when you talk about polls. you got to remember this. If you're an average American and your phone rings and it's a polling agency to come there. One of the first things I do is try to find out which side they're on and what they're looking for out of me. Some people do that purposely and they just give them what they want. Whether that's what these people on the phone think or not, they're going to tell the pollsters, Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I think this, I think that. 
So we haven't talked in several days about Nikki Haley. Done that on purpose. I'm not a Nikki fan. I've never been a Nikki fan. I think she's very wishy-washy, has been in her career. And it looks like the people of South Carolina, where she paints herself to be such a hero, and she was a good governor. She served two terms there and got a lot of good things done in South Carolina. But in her second term, she started looking out beyond the borders of her state, thinking about bigger, better things on the outside, and she kind of softened her commitment to conservatism. And one of her latest and most probably main argument against Trump, it doesn't even hold any water. So she continues to make the argument that former President Trump can't beat Biden in a general election. And now, as you just heard in in other polling, polling says exactly opposite of what Nikki Haley's saying. In a Tuesday interview with Salem Radio Network's Hugh Hewitt, Haley repeated her often-used argument that she'd be able to beat Biden in the general election by a large margin while the former president would struggle to win. But Trump has already beaten Biden in over 100 polls this cycle, has a larger lead over the president in the real clear politics average than Nikki does. You can't make an argument about the electability against the guys who's already won this thing that you're contesting. That's from Mike McKenna, Republican consultant and president of MWR Strategies. He has to be presumed to be electable because he's already been elected to the job once, right? And there's no survey data that indicates Haley is any more electable than is Donald Trump. And in fact, all the survey data suggests he's probably more electable than she is. Trump currently has a 3.9 point lead over Biden in the RCP average compared to the former ambassador's 1.2 points. The former president notched his largest margin against Biden on Friday of last week at 4.3 points. Haley has only led Biden in a total of 15 polls all the election cycle, according to Real Clear Politics polling. However, far fewer surveys have been conducted between herself and the president for a head-to-head matchup. First thing we have to understand, Trump can't beat Biden in an election. That's a fact. We know that. Now, that's Nikki Haley talking to Hugh Hewitt. Remember, it's his show. She said, look at Iowa. Look at New Hampshire. He doesn't win independence. No one can win a general election if you don't have independence. He doesn't win suburban women. He has lost the Republicans who don't like his style. Not only that, 75% of Americans say they don't want a rematch between Biden and Trump. Maybe she forgets. Donald Trump won the Iowa caucus with 51% on January 15. Haley came in third at only 19.1%. Trump proceeded to secure New Hampshire's primary the following week, beating her 54 to 43. There in New Hampshire, Trump overwhelmingly secured the support from Republicans and conservatives. He also won over demographics that are crucial in any general election, suburban women, minorities, and youth voters. 
Nikki Haley frequently touts her 17-point lead over Biden on the campaign trail, but she's only secured this margin once, and it was in a Wall Street Journal poll conducted back in November. You look at all those general election polls. He doesn't beat Biden. You look at those same general election polls I'm in, I defeat Biden by up to 17. Do you know what that means? That's not just the presidency, that's the House, that's the Senate, that's governorships, yada, yada, yada. I would have liked to have heard that. Hugh Hewitt, he really normally gets down and gets in the faces of those who are spewing venom or lies in his interviews, but apparently he didn't do it to Nikki Haley. McKenna called the Wall Street Journal poll a ridiculous outlier. Haley hasn't seen a double-digit lead against Biden since according to the Real Clear Politics survey compilations. It's Haley's job to make the very unlikely seem possible. That's Mark Weaver, who's a veteran Republican strategist. She's got to keep a straight face for doing it, which is the hard part. Haley got three other double-digit margins against Biden prior to the Wall Street Journal survey. Since is led by anywhere from one to eight points. But remember this. The next primary, where is it? South Carolina. It's just around the corner. And guess what the polls say there? Several of the polls in South Carolina, her farmer state, what do they say? She's 26 points behind Donald Trump. That's almost too much to overcome if it isn't already impossible. And so everybody, everybody in the political business, they're shocked that she is still in the race. But she made it very clear, as long as I have money, I'm going to run. It's not her money. Remember, she got a bunch of money very publicly from Democrat mega donors that confronted her and said, look, we will support you for one reason and one reason only. We need you to beat Donald Trump. And of course she said, yeah, write me the check. Now put that in the context of if she won, for instance, what would happen? What would those Democrats expect from her? Pretty much anything they wanted. They'd be knocking on the White House door saying, hey, let us in. You remember those checks we wrote to you? It's time for the quid. (laughs) That's the way politics works, doesn't it? So let's go overseas for a minute. You know, the Green New Deal stuff, that's our name. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez wrote that bill. Remember, right in the middle of her first term. Well, actually, right at the beginning. And she got credit for it, the Green New Deal. Not the New Green Deal, but the Green New Deal. Around the world, factions have signed into the climate change debacle, scam, whatever you want to call it. Germany has been one of the biggest countries in mass to sign into it. They shut down a bunch of their... Um, fossil fuel-driven coal plants. In fact, I think they've closed them all now, and they're going all green energy there. But they're in trouble. The German Green Party wants to moderate the European Green Party's stance on how long they want the country to use natural gas and coal 
amid the serious economic woes and political blowback that are happening there. This European Green Party wants to move up its timeline for getting to net zero emissions from 2050 to 2040. But, listen to this, the German Greens are advocating for a 2045 target date and seeking to cut out calls to end the use of natural gas by 2035 and oil by 2040. That's because the green energy deal isn't working out like they told everybody it would. The German Greens are part of Germany's governing coalition, which has seen its popularity go through the floor as the country's economy has performed poorly in the middle of a prolonged energy crisis. The 2045 target date is already a part of the German Greens platform, but the timelines for oil and gas phase-outs are points of contention between the German party and the wide European institution. Germany closed its last remaining nuclear plants in April last year, and they did so to complement its massive green energy spending blitz. Even as the German economy was deteriorating, just like ours, as soaring energy costs undermined its industrial base, industry, manufacturing, all of those kind of entities, they can't cost-effectively use only electricity. It's impossible to do. It may be possible in some future time, but we do not yet have the technology to do that. Yet, the left sycophants, along with Joe Biden and his ex-guy, John Kerry, he Kerry was our green energy guru, he quit the gig a couple of weeks ago, and John Podesta took the job. They don't get it. They didn't plan. They didn't come up with a realistic timeline. And look what it's done to the auto industry. Look what it's done to millions of Americans that fell for the scam and are now riding around for as long as they can every day in their electric vehicles. And most of the time they're riding, they're watching their electricity meter dwindle going down, down, and down, and they're screaming and crying trying to find a charging place. And that's not a joke. That's what's happening. The meager economic outlook and energy crisis are also shaking up German politics. Farmers, German farmers, they recently conducted a week-long wave of protest across the country and they're protesting in response to the government's plan to cut crucial agricultural subsidies to plug a massive budget gap, oh, and to fund green initiatives. The alternative for Germany, that's a name for the country's right-wing populist party, has seen its popularity more than double since the Russian invasion of Ukraine. About 80% of the German population aren't satisfied with the current governing coalition. More than half of the country wants elections before 2025, which is the current scheduled date. So much while stuff continues to be downstream of Germany's insane nuclear phase-out in the face of not only the energy crisis, but also the EU's own climate goals. German Greens, part of a deep, unpopular coalition government, want a longer fossil phase-down to keep nuclear offline. 
Now, I wonder why they are so anti-nuclear energy. You know, it's the cleanest form of energy of any kind, except maybe solar, which there'll never be enough solar to power the nation, Germany or any other nation. Why is nuclear such a big deal? I don't have the answer for you. The German Green Party, they don't even want to talk about it to the media. That story came from private individuals that happened to just get the skinny on it. You do your thing, and you do it well. Now, it's time to do it bigger. It's time for Shopify. Shopify makes it easy to set up your online store, expand into new sales channels, and bring your brand into the real world. Get everything you need to launch your business today with Shopify. We're outside Pilgrim Furniture and Mattress City where parents are disappearing. Excuse me, are your parents in there? Yeah. They can't decide if they should take no interest for 60 months with no money down or an extra $100 off every $9.99 they spend. It's a tough choice. But they've been in there for six hours. I want dinner. Parents, if you're a pilgrim, please make a decision. A friend of mine said he wanted to talk to me about my Volvo. I told him, thank you, that's between me and my gynecologist. He said, no, no, your car, your Volvo 850 Turbo Sports Wagon. I said, oh, that. No, you can't drive it. Oh, I love my Volvo. Sure, it's safe, but... Gee, just because driving on the freeways of Southern California is the equivalent of playing bumper cars at the speed of light, what kind of reason is that? Volvos are still ultra-luxury imports, sleek and gorgeous and loaded to hear, safe and sexy, and pardon me, I have to go hug my car now. Want safe and sexy? Viva la Volvo! Test drive a Volvo 850 at your Southern California Volvo dealer. Since when is safe sexy, another friend asked. Hey, I said, what decade are you living in? Uncertain about what you see and hear in mainstream media? Worried about getting the truth? No worries anymore. Get the truth, only the truth, at TNN, the Truth News Network. TruthNewsNet.org. I'm going to encourage you to do something. Find the Daily Caller's latest documentary. The title on it is Rigged. Rigged, R-I-G-G-E-D. It is available online, and I recommend that you go get it and you watch it. Why? Well, it exposes the radical tactics that brought America to the brink in the 2020 election. And supposedly it proves that it's not Republicans who have changed how they think about elections, but Democrats who have run off a cliff called extremism with only one goal in mind to rig elections in perpetuity. Watch a few minutes of the corporate media. You'd think that Republicans have gone nuts. In the Trump era, it's said Republicans use every dirty trick in the book to suppress and restrict the vote. And there's constant talk of the Republican assault on voting rights and, of course, overall threats to the very foundation democracy. Major companies often use their market power to reinforce the party line, whatever it is, is in the corporate protest over Georgia's voting reforms. Heck, 
Not Governor of George Stacey Abrams still insists Georgia's Stacey Abrams still insists her ill-fated campaign was a victim of a stolen election. But rig, guess what it does? It exposes what Democrats really mean when they use this kind of language. Hans von Spakovsky, I can't even say his last name, Spakovsky, he's the head of the Heritage Foundation's Election Law Reform Initiative. He explained just how radical the Democrats have gotten on all this. First case to shine a spotlight on election integrity came back in 2000 with a very hotly contested presidential election that ended in legal battles, recounts, eventually a 537-vote margin of victory for George W. Bush down in Florida. Seeing the need to restore confidence, Bukowski explains how both sides got together in good faith to repair the deep disillusionment the American people felt toward the election systems. The 04 Carter-Baker Commission put forward bipartisan recommendations for how to achieve these common-sense reforms, how to maintain clean voter rolls, make sure people aren't registered in more than one state, ensure absentee ballots are handled with very secure means, etc. You know, the kind of things we didn't see in 2020 or 2022. Yet today, when Dems speak of voter suppression, What they really mean is anything that furthers their goals they once supported. Now they even seek to reverse them, their own goals. If you look at how Democrats now work to loosen up the rules around our elections, Josh Finley of the Texas Public Policy Foundation Election Protection Project explained the three main functions of Democrats' election policy. First, They want to create the widest universe of voters with pushes to lower age and citizenship requirements. Next, they want to create as many ballots as possible, flooding the country with mail-in and absentee ballots that require little identity verification, if any at all. And the ultimate goal, get ballots in ballot boxes, giving Americans nearly endless and effortless ways to vote. And then if you do it that much, you can forget about the reality and the validity of what's in those ballots, right? This documentary, we're told, proves the answer is a resounding no. Democrats used to agree with Republicans on the importance of election integrity. Now they do everything they can to undermine it. There's no way to trust a party that says they're cheating as they do everything in their power to make it easier to cheat. And it only makes matters worse when they attack anyone who opposes their efforts as the true danger to free and fair elections. There's only one party that poses a threat to democracy, and it's not the Republicans. You need to see this. Again, it's rigged. Go online and do a search for it and just search search things, say, uh, rigged documentary, and it'll pop up. There have been several such documentaries come out in the last year or two that are exposing, and everybody on the left, you know what they did? They immediately tagged anybody, especially public people that were out there, members of Congress, people in media, if you even question 
the integrity of the 2020 election, it started then. If you dare even think about saying that election or those elections weren't fair, you're an election denier. And what does that mean? You can't be listened. Nobody can listen to you because you're one of those people that don't deserve to be in any position of power or authority where anybody expects you to tell them something they need to hear. Meanwhile, one Republican mega donor, uh, this is really upsetting for the Nikki Haley campaign. He expresses doubt in Nikki's ability to win. Now, that's no big deal. A lot of people say that, right? But this one comes after he has spent millions of dollars supporting her. Ken Griffin, a billionaire GOP mega donor, and he's the CEO of Citadel. He praised Haley's merits as a candidate during a CNBC interview on Tuesday. But he said he doesn't know, though, that at this moment, there's going to get her where she needs to get to in South Carolina and thereafter. His comments on Haley's presidential prospects coincided with an announcement that he had given $5 million to the pro-Haley Super PAC SFA fund in December last year and this month, well, last month in this year, January. $5 million. Griffin publicly mulled supporting Haley for months leading up to the January primary elections. The hedge fund manager called Haley a rock star back in October last year, citing her experience and her momentum. Griffin praised her foreign policy credentials in November, saying they're what we need right now. Griffin made his donations before the Iowa caucus in the New Hampshire primary. Haley lost both of those, by the way, in case you forgot. Griffin may not be the only major Haley donor to have become pessimistic about her chances after her losses in those first two elections. Ed McMullen, a fundraiser for the Trump campaign, claims dozens of donors that supported Ron DeSantis and Haley have been contacting the Trump campaign and offering support. Some deep-pocketed donors are still confident in Haley, however. Stanley Druckenmiller, Henry Kravis, Ken Lagone, and Cliff Asnes, four Wall Street billionaires co-hosted a fundraiser for Haley on Tuesday of this week. Langone previously said that supporting Haley if she didn't get traction in New Hampshire would be foolish. If she doesn't get traction there, you don't throw money down a rat hole. While some donors are sticking around, Haley's primary support remains well under Donald Trump's, according to 538's average of polling. Haley trails Donald Trump by more than 30 points in her home state of South Carolina, for instance. You live by the polls, what do they say? You live by the polls, you die by the polls. That may be what's going on right now. Under Joe Biden, Americans are just flat suffering for, for a lot of reasons, on a lot of levels, in a lot of areas. I mean, think about it. Food is still off the chart expensive. It's so bad in the industry in items that grocery stores sell where, you know, it includes a bunch of different things like a loaf of bread, a bunch of different pieces of bread, 
and other things like that. Bread companies, an example, they immediately went to making the bread pieces smaller, leaving the price the same, but making them smaller. And then they started not only making them smaller, started making them more expensive. Gasoline. Joe, yesterday, Joe in a speech, he said the price of gas is way down now. It's not. It's not even close to it. We're still paying a buck and a quarter more than we paid the day he was elected. And we gave you the job numbers that they came out with this morning. They're bogus. We get a little footnote at the end of December, and it says, oh, by the way, the U.S. government has withdrawn 749,000 of the so-called new jobs they created in 2023. How do you miss by 749,000? How's that possible? That's one-fourth of the numbers they reported on for the whole year. And everybody was, we're not having inflation. We're not having recession. I'm Joe Biden, and I've fixed everything. But now you add to that our illegal immigration problem, folks. Just those two things alone. Forget about our overseas stuff. Forget about our military being feckless. Can't even get people to join the military now. Pending, not maybe, but pending wars on several fronts. What in the heck would we do if somebody went after us right now in an all-out war? We had to get into it. Our military is as bad off as I remember it in my lifetime. But back to the southern border. 10,000 illegals are pouring into our country every day. And Biden is releasing 85% of them into the country. Think about that. That's 8,500 a day are disappearing into the landscape of the U.S. Who are they? What are they here for? What's in their rearview mirror? What brought them here? What are they doing right now, and what are their plans? This is a historic flood of illegals. It's in addition to an untold number of others who have even evaded Border Patrol agents altogether and are just somewhere unknown, illegals we don't even know about. That number, by the way, doesn't include the more than 12 million who have been living in the U.S. with no consequences for decades. And it's impossible. You can't overstate the magnitude of this crisis. It's like nothing we've ever seen before. Nobody can create a legitimate roadmap of what to do or how to get out of it because we haven't been down that road before. And by the way, the Biden administration and far-left Democrats, they don't want to go down that road. They're there. They don't want to turn around and get out of it. They don't want to fix it. They like what is going on. Those illegals aren't just overrunning our hospitals, our schools, our social services. They're affecting the balance of political power already in our nation. Under current law, the apportionment of congressional seats in Congress among the states is decided based on a population number that includes illegal immigrants. You heard it. That's right. Illegal immigrants impact how congressional representation is decided. 
even if they don't vote and aren't supposed to be here. But it gets worse. This is a presidential election year, and in this country, the president is elected by the Electoral College. These Electoral College votes are based on congressional seats, which are affected by the tens of millions of illegal immigrants in this country. Many are asking why liberal cities like Boston and Philly have voted for sanctuary policies. They've advertised to the whole world that they want illegal immigrants to live there. These cities won't even help deport convicted criminals. Makes absolutely no sense, except for it gives them more political power in Congress and the Electoral College. Just a word for you to think about over the weekend. Don't obsess about it this weekend. You guys have a great weekend. Do some things with people you love and enjoy what good you have in your life right now. Don't fret over what's not there. There's nothing we can do about it. Don't forget, bullet points tomorrow morning, first thing at truthnewsnet.org. Catch up on all the details, the headlines of the biggest stories of the week with links to take you back to the full stories if you want them. We'll see you back here first thing Monday morning at 9 a.m. Have a good one. Something wrong here, there can be no denying One of us is changing Maybe we've just stopped trying And it's too late, baby, now it's too late But we really did try to make it Something inside has died 
Kucharoo!